0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Dan McGumby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonti. UFC heading back to Fight Island this weekend for Ida Sanya versus Costa, Reyes versus Blankovic. We'll be breaking down those two fights and our other favorite fight on the main card as part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlay segment, where we'll also give you an underdog that we think you should play and a parlay that we think would be particularly profitable this week. Plus, as always, I am bringing you the interviews that you want to hear. We're starting with Brandon Royval, who fights on the main card against Kai kara France, in a fight that has some title shot implications in that loaded flyweight division. Then we're going to be talking to Jack Carbright, who's actually the champion of cage warriors in the bantamweight division. They've got a triple header coming up this weekend after a long layoff. He's talking about his aspirations, where he's going, and finally getting back into that cage. Before we get to any of that great content, we got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu it does not matter. Maroon Social has got you covered with a great way to log your training sessions and stay on top of the progress you want to make. So head on over and download Maroon Social wherever it is you get your apps. Maroon Social brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast and it starts right now. And joining me today is Brandon Royval who fights Kai Cara France at UFC 253 on Fight Island. Brandon, before we get started talking about that fight, I want to talk about your last fight because you you pick up a big win over a former title challenger in Tim Elliott. But after that, I saw some interviews with you. You were real hard on your own performance. Watching it back, letting time pass, do, do you still feel pretty down on that performance?
1: Um I mean I'm not happy with how the fight went at all no. Um I definitely would like to see better of myself and I felt like uh Tim Alley did a good job of controlling that fight for the most part and I was implementing his game plan until he gasped out kind of thing. That's a little bit of his style is to kind of go forward and put a high pre- uh, high pace and high pressure on him and uh are on people and uh yeah I felt like he was very much implementing that on me as a fighter you don't want to you don't want to have like anybody like have too much you don't want anybody, like, fighting at someone else's pace. You don't want to fight anybody else's fight, you know? And I felt like I didn't have a chance to get off and a chance to really show who I was, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, like, you, like I, I feel like the UFC just could see, like, a bare minimum of me, you know? And, like, are this the crowd and, I don't know, just from a fan base, you could see barely of the skills that I had out there. And you could see pretty much everything Kim was doing, and there was just more of me on the defense the whole entire time, you know?
0: Interesting. And and now I'm curious too. Do do you feel like you know the reason for that? Do do you feel like it was octagon jitters, bad training camp? Do do you feel like there was something that led to you not being the the 100% version of you that you look to be?
1: Um I actually just give credit to Tim Allen's style, man. That guy his style is kind of uh come guns a blazing and shoot put a high pace out there and uh his style is a little bit different, man. He comes out there a little reckless and uh like I said, I think I just needed to weather the storm a little bit and, uh, you can see that happening. And I like, I can feel him giving out a little bit in that fight. Early on, I can hear him breathing heavy when he's shooting in for takedowns. And like, once I was getting up, I can hear him just breathing and I could hear like, um, him slowing down, you know? After the first round, I remember thinking, I'm like, well, I'm definitely going to win this fight. Like, there's no way I could lose. Like, I couldn't just, like, I wasn't tired at all and I can just feel, feel him like giving a, like, giving a hundred percent effort out there. So, I think it's just the stylistic thing. I think that's a really bad matchup for me, Tim Elliott is. And, uh, I think he's probably one of the more, uh, um, harder matchups for me in the flyweight division right now. And, uh, I'm happy that I overcame it. But, uh, that being said, is yeah, you just couldn't see, you didn't get to see much of my skills. I couldn't strike. I couldn't get off. Um, we did a good job at like, or I did a good job of kind of popping right back up when I got taken down. So, like, you didn't see much of my jiu-jitsu skills, you know? Um, it was more of like him kind of implementing what he does well, you know, and I was just kind of reacting and responding and it worked out towards my favor, but it also just felt like maybe if out it was in a little better shape, maybe it wouldn't have went that way. Maybe I would have lost that fight and maybe I would have got manhandled the whole entire time. And I don't really know, but I just felt like I got manhandled early on and uh, I don't know, you don't like to give up rounds. You don't want to um, kind of feel like you get punked out there. And that's kind of how I felt out there. like when I fought Tim Allen, I was getting punked a little bit. And uh, getting manhandled until he gave until he was gassed out, and then I kind of capitalized
0: on that. So obviously after that, you you get a turnaround fairly quick, and you you wind up in this fight with Kaikara france Do do you feel like you've used that as as motivation into this fight? What, what you're doing, planning for Kai Kara-France It's kind of like you don't want to have that feeling again.
1: Um. Well, I definitely don't want to have that feeling again, no matter what. But I think the, it's a stylistic uh, style, different matchup. Kai Carr France is going to come in there, uh, guns are blazing. He's a very calculated fighter. And uh, I think you're going to see that from him. Or you see that from him in all of his fights. He's very calculated, uh, tries to snipe a little bit and set up his punches. Um, where Tim Elliott kind of comes forward, throws a bunch of stuff, uh, gets a little wild in there, shoots a takedown, and just keeps a high pace the whole entire time. That's not really Kai Carr France. Style. Maybe he'll keep a high pace with the striking, but it's more calculated than, um, than I, I would say Tim Elliott's is. Um, So I think that'll on- honestly benefit me more is his style against that is uh like his natural style of just being calculated and trying to pick his shots and just trying to be a little bit more of a sniper. And I think it, it kind of, I'll be the more unorthodox one pushing the pace, doing the more awkward stuff. So I, I it's just a different matchup, man. Matchups are everything. And uh I, I really do think Tim had a horrible matchup for me.
0: Well, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned the, the striking in this matchup coming up against Kaikara France, too, because, you know, I, I've long lauded the, the grappling that you've showed, and, and especially in the Tim Elliott fight, you know, you obviously you pick up the, the win that way. You're fighting a guy now who is striker heavy. I know you love your hands more than you love your grappling from the last time we talked. Are, are you excited? Are you, are you expecting a, a drag-em-out fight on the feet the whole time?
1: yeah i'm not Tim cannot have a 90 percent takedown uh defense rate in the ufc and uh, i've probably shot like twice in my career i'm uh, maybe like maybe twice in my career um i'm not planning on shooting on him honestly uh but i mean maybe i'll go for a takedown it wouldn't be a bad idea i think that um my ground game's a lot better than his um and i think if it hits the mat i have the clear advantage but uh i do want to showcase what i can do in the flyweight division and what i can do is i'm a well-rounded fighter. I'm a good striker, and I'm a good jiu-jitsu guy, and uh, I think I can capitalize on him that way.
0: Absolutely, and I'm glad that you mentioned, too, you know, wanting to showcase yourself, especially for the the UFC brass, because this is a division where, with one big win over Tim Elliott, you catapulted yourself into the top 10. Another win here against Kaikara France, we could be talking about, like, top five level here. How, How far away from a title shot do you feel like you are at this point? I, I wouldn't even
1: think about a title shot till 2021. Um, but as of right now, I think that I can put myself in title contention for 2020, and that's my goal. Is to um, beat Kai Car France and set myself up for title contention. And how I do that is not only beat Kai Car France, but go out there and put a statement on him. You know, I think I haven't paid my dues as a flyweight, and I don't think I paid my dues in the division yet. Um, I think I got like gifted a uh, shot with Tim Elliott because it was a short notice, and UFC needs bites. So uh I, I think I was the first one on the call-up list, and nobody wanted to fight Tim Elliott, and I got l- the the luck of the draw on that one. So I got to fight Tim Elliott, and then that put me in a good position to kind of keep climbing up the ranks. I think uh as a fighter, you need to pay your dues a lot, and I feel like if I go out there and put a statement, I can kind of bypass that and maybe fight some of the top five, you know? If I fight some of the top five, beat them, that's title contention right there, right? That's a title contention fight for sure, so... If I can go out there, beat Kai Kara France, maybe fight Juicy or Formiga for title contention, or someone like that for like a title, like you know, close to a title shot or something, you know, or a title contention shot, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just I'm building my way up, and the way I do that is not only win. I gotta go out there and make a statement, man. I can't just pull out a, um, a, uh, a barely like, uh, a, like a a boring win or anything like that. I have to go out there and make a statement.
0: Well, and I like what you said about both paying your dues and trying to make a statement. I obviously got to ask you then about what's happening at the top of the flyweight division, because you got your champion in Davison Figueredo. He's fighting a guy who's literally never paid his dues at flyweight. He's dropping down for the very first time. Sure, he's got some exciting wins in Cody Garbrandt, but what were sort of your thoughts when that started happening in the flyweight division instead of giving, you know, a shot to one of those contenders you're talking about fighting?
1: Yeah, so um, I feel really bad for Brandon. They got bypassed over, and they they have been essentially like what we're talking about paying their dues. But I also get that um, the flyweight division was cut like two years ago. Two years ago, we didn't even have a flyweight division, and uh, or they're talking about getting rid of the flyweight division, which means I wouldn't even have a job, or we'd need to be having this conversation right now, you know. But um, uh, a guy like Cody Garbrandt can spice him up the division, you know. A guy like Cody Garbrandt, if he wins, or if he loses, or whatever it is, man, just his his name being in the flyweight division. Is going to boost the eyes and he, he, he's a draw. He, he draws, um he draws, uh, he draws views, you know what I'm saying? And he has like a little, like his name himself is going to bring uh, views and all that. So I think it's really good, man. I, I think that it's good for the flyway division in general, but I do get that. And I feel super horrible if I was, I feel bad for Brandon Moreno and Alex Perez specifically, because they're right there knocking at that door, you know, and they get bypassed over because Cody Garbrand decides to drop a division, even though he's like one in three in his last, four fights or something like that
0: yeah well and I, I'm glad that too that you see the business side of it as well a lot of fighters overlook that aspect of it now I, I'm gonna bring it back to you well, well I'm th- I'm thinking it more of the marketing point
1: too is the business of the marketing is I think it's good for me you know what I'm saying like if if Cody Garbrandt's in the division then the flyweight division stays long longer because that's another great flyweight added onto it you know I think UFC's done a good job at boosting up the flyweight division and adding exciting flyweights and um he's one of those guys that is going to spice some things up you know
0: for sure, for sure. Now, I do want to end by bringing this back to your fight, bringing it back to the Kai Kara France fight. You said you want to go out there and make a statement so that you can catapult yourself up that way. What does that look like? In the end of the day, how do you expect this fight to go?
1: Um, just being calculated, sniper, pick him apart, and uh, put a high pace on him, man. Um, that's how I want to do it. I want to put a high pace on him. I want to snipe some shots, and I want to set up some good stuff and uh, overload him a little bit. I want to overload his mind, and I want to be, be a little desperate for something make make a mistake and capitalize on it man maybe he shoots in maybe not maybe i can catch him with some punches or whatever but i definitely want to go out there and just make it my fight and my pace and i put a high pace out there and uh i think that'll that'll pay uh, dividends against a guy like high car france who is a calculated striker and a good striker and well-rounded comes from a good gym and all that so
0: Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Once again, guys, this was Brandon Royval who fights Kai Kara-France at UFC 253 on Fight Island. Brandon, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. And that interview with Brandon Royval once again is brought to you by Maroon Social. Just a reminder, you can download Maroon Social wherever you download social media apps. They've got the greatest way to track your progress. And the coolest thing, you can track all your competitions Whether you're doing kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, all right there in the apps. You basically have your own topology of your own career. It's the coolest thing. Check out Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, and joining me today is Jack Cartwright, the 135-pound champion of Cage Warriors. He's going to be defending his belt against Geraldo Fanny at Cage Warriors 115 on Friday. That is the second of three consecutive Cage Warriors events. Really excited about it. But let's let's start with this question, Jack. Jack, Cage Warriors has been on a shelf for quite a long time. There hasn't been any events. How, How great does it feel to finally be getting back in there?
2: Yeah, it feels great, mate. Like you said, there's not been um, a, there's not been a cage where now for about six months, I think. So I'm really excited to get back in there and um, and see the fights. And obviously, um, I get to fight on Friday, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. And you
0: mentioned seeing the fights. Are you planning on being a spectator for for Thursday and Saturday? I mean, I'm sure you've got tons of to friends and and tons of other people you know fighting on those cards as well.
2: Yeah, I've got quite a few people that I know fighting across the three days, but obviously I'm gonna get my get my fight out of the way on the Friday, and then I'll enjoy the show on the Saturday. Then, so the Thursday I might um, have a couple, I might watch a bit of the, sh- of the show, but I'll be keeping my head focused on my own fight, and then once that's out of the way, I can enjoy the Saturday card. Then,
0: makes a lot of sense to me. And, and you mentioned keeping focus because that, that was actually another thing I was gonna ask. You, you said, you know, it's been six months since we've seen a Cage Warriors event. You've been sitting there just kind of wondering when it would ever happen again. How hard was it to stay focused in the gym leading up to, you know, this fight finally happening?
2: Um, it wasn't hard to stay focused, really. I'm surrounded by, uh, like, hungry teammates who are always after getting after it and training hard. And regardless if I've got a fight in the diary, I'm going to be in the gym and training and looking to progress. So it was never really a struggle to stay focused. I just had to um, keep bettering myself every day, and I knew eventually that I'd get um, a chance to fight, and it's coming up this week.
0: Absolutely. So I want to talk to you, too, about, you know, obviously some opportunities that can come with this. We've seen Cage Warriors guys, both champions and otherwise, too, getting snatched up by the UFC left and right. Reese McKee gets signed recently. Jai Herbert gets signed recently. Obviously, with the UFC at Fight Island, the same exact week you're fighting, is this something that's on
2: your mind as you're, you're making this uh, this title defense? Um, well, I think I think it, is, it was in the lead-up to our last fight, definitely. But um, because of all the uncertainty because of coronavirus and stuff like that, I just want to get this fight done and dusted, and all my focus is on this next fight. And if I go out there and perform the way that I know that I can, then the rest will take care of itself, and the US. It's only a matter of time then until the you come calling.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the case with with just about every champ from Cage Warriors who who gets snatched up yeah. pretty quick. And and I'm curious too because you said you're going out there to get the job done. You're following up a performance in a title fight where you went the full 25 minutes, which is something you haven't done in quite a long time. Is that? Do you see that as a positive or do you see that as a negative? Being that like you know you got the chance to do that that full 25 championship minutes.
2: Well, to be honest, I saw it as kind of both things, really. Um, it was a positive in regards to I'll never have to fight longer than 25 minutes um, in that USC main event. Like that. It, It'll just be a 25-minute fight. And I knew that I could do that. I was fully confident in my cardio that I could go 25 minutes. But I've gone out now and I've proved that I can go out and push a high pace for 25 minutes. Um, and the guy, I thought, was very experienced and crafty. And he knew how to um, how to survive, let's say. He knew how to survive. Um, and that's what he did. He did a good job of surviving, and I've learned a lot from that experience, and I don't plan on letting this guy survive, so we'll, we'll see how it goes.
0: And, and you said you had the UFC sort of on your mind going into that fight too, right? Like, you don't have it so much on this one, but you did in that one. Was it frustrating then that you you weren't able to get him out of there, and he was you know, pretty much just doing whatever he could to survive?
2: Uh, it was obviously frustrating, but I think that, once it, once I'd touched him a couple of times and he'd felt my power and he'd felt like how the fight was going to go I think he just shut up shop and was he was really just looking to survive the fight like at the end of the fight he like laughed and was like oh you didn't knock me out that's what he said like after the fight so it was kind of like he was he was he was happy to have just survived in there, which fair play to him if that's what he's doing that's what he was doing but I really wanted to fight on the island card because they had an island card booked in mid August but obviously with the coronavirus it, they all ended up getting moved to fight island um and then that obviously made it quite a bit harder for the guys to be getting called up so um i can't really spend my time thinking about what could have been and thinking about um chances in the future and all that sort of stuff i really just need to focus on the task at hand and and put on a great performance come friday
0: and and i'm curious too because i've never heard a guy saying something like that after a fight where he's almost like proud that you know you didn't
2: get him out of there even though you
0: dominated him is yeah. that frustrating? Do you want to hit him again after that fight?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was frustrating at the time, mate. Yeah, it, it, I just thought I just like laughed and shook my head, and I think I gave him a little pat on the head, and just was like, "Yeah, there you go, mate. At least that's his little victory that he can take home and say that he that he survived." But um, I wouldn't be really proud of that. But um, he was a good fighter, and I'm not going to take anything away from him. But um, I think that was just much a much better fighter than he was. Um, and I believe I'm a much better fighter than basically anybody. So that's, that's the way that I like to, um, that I like to live my life and, and go into fights thinking.
0: Absolutely. Now, before we get talking about your fight coming up this, this upcoming Friday, I, I wanted to talk about what happened back in September of 2019. Cause you know, looking back at your record and thinking back to that time, you actually fought in a tournament all in one night, which is not something that a lot of guys do, and it's not a lot, something a lot of promotions do anymore. Can you give us your, your sort of takeaway of that, of how you go about preparing for, for two guys in one night when you don't even know the second opponent?
2: Um, well, yeah, you're right. Not a, lot of, not a lot of promotions do that anymore. So I'm, I'm, I was really excited and proud to get the chance to actually go and do it before I even stepped in there. I thought to myself, like, this is going to be a really good opportunity to go in there and get to say I fought twice in one night and, and, and got to have the chance to actually go out and prove myself and do it. But I grew up wrestling where I'd I'd have like five matches in the night, so five matches in the day, sorry. Um, so it kind of suited me down to the ground. I thought to myself, right, I can go in there and I can just go take care of things one fight at a time. And I always worry about myself, not the opponent. So I didn't have to worry about what's he going to do to me. I just wanted to go out there and fight the best that I could and um, execute um, the game plan as best as that I could do. And it happens. I I did do that on on that night. And um, like you said, I got two first round knockouts in the first, um, on my first appearance on Cage Warrior. So it couldn't have gone much better for me, really.
0: And and you mentioned too, you know, obviously your hands have been the thing that have impressed Cage Warrior fans and fans all around the world. You just mentioned that you grew up wrestling. How did you fall Mm. in love with your hands so much, you know, as you progressed?
2: Um, well I've, I've always been a massive boxing fan um, so I started going down to the local boxing gym when I'd already been wrestling at a high level for about five years I started going to a, a to a boxing gym and it's literally I just started hitting people and they started falling over and um, like from literally since I was about 14 years old I've been knocking out fully grown men so it's easy to fall in love with something that you're good at so so <laughs> um so yeah, that's really how it happened. I just started hitting people, and I really enjoyed it. And um, the rest is history, really. I, I, I love that story.
0: Now, so that that power is all natural in your hands. You're you're talking about literally some of the first days you were in the gym. You were hitting people, and they were going down.
2: Yeah, literally, like my foot. I I think I'd been I'd been in the boxing gym for about a couple of weeks, if that. And um, some of the better lads in the gym who had previously boxed because it was a new gym. So I just started going down and, and there was a couple of lads there that had already been boxing. So they was in the other room sparring. And um, my coach at the time was like, he saw that I was like a fit kid. And he was like, hey, Jack, do you want to jump in and give it a go and see if you like it? And I jumped in and I'd just like bang it. One person, he'd fall over and then the other one would jump in and add it to him. And it just kept on happening. So um, like I said, it's, a, it's addictive, really. So I enjoyed it.
0: And I'm just guessing here, because you said you're a massive boxing fan, is yeah. that sort of what led you to MMA, the fact that you do have the wrestling background, but, you know, the boxing was something you loved? Or did you contemplate, you know, like, maybe leaving MMA behind and having a boxing career?
2: Um, I, I was an MMA fan as well. Like, literally, I, I watched the first season of Ultimate Fighter. I was probably 10 years old at the time, and I used to watch it on Spike TV. I remember watching um, Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock, and I'd always been a massive fan, so, it had always been in the back of the mind. I, I either wanted to, I wanted to wrestle, box, or do mixed martial arts, and there was there was the three, my, my, my three goals. And it got to the point when I was around 17. I thought, right, I'm going to either box professionally, or I'm going to turn uh, really give this MMA thing a go. And um, I chose to give MMA a go and see how it went. Um, so it could have gone either way. Really, it was literally a coin toss. It was literally right. What do I do? And I, I chose MMA. And that's not to say that I wouldn't have a box. I wouldn't um, like to compete a boxing at some point in the future, because if I got an opportunity to do that, I would jump all over it.
0: Nice, nice. So I'm curious too, in, in being an MMA fan at such a young age, right? Like we're in sort of in that era where, you know, people become MMA fans younger and younger now than the the previous generations. Did you have a fighter that you looked up to and that you like enjoyed the style of? Because like, like you said, you're a wrestler who loves to throw hands. I mean, I, I feel like that era was all about that.
2: Yeah, Chuck Liddell and BJ fan. Chuck Liddell and BJ Penn was my favorite fighters, definitely. Um, growing up, so I used to just, I used to, yeah, BJ Penn and yeah, Chuck Liddell, them two guys, is who I really sort of um, enjoyed watching when I was growing up and aspired to um, to be like, really. So, um, yeah, them two guys really, they were my favorites. <laughs> that,
0: that makes a lot of sense given your style. Now, I, I'm gonna bring yeah, it back. To- hand right overhand rights for days and using yeah. the wrestling to stop the takedown <laughs> yeah exactly exactly. alright well I, I gotta wrap this up and, and talk to you about your fight you're, you're fighting Gerardo Fanny at Cage Warriors yep. 115 defending your belt are we gonna yep. see that, that Chuck Adele style game plan and if so how do you see this one ending
2: Um, I think that he's a good stand up guy and I think that he's gonna wanna keep this fight standing Um, for how long I don't know um, I think that if he comes in and he and he tries to exchange me on the feet a few times, it's going to be a short night um, for him. Um, so yeah, you you you're going to see some explosive um, exchanges, and I'm going to clip him and I'm going to knock him out, or I'm gonna um, I'm gonna finish him one way or another. It's going to be a it's going to be a, a big finish. I can I can promise you that.
0: All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Jack Cartwright who defends his Cage Warriors Bantamweight belt against Gerardo Fanny at Cage Warriors 115 on Friday. Jack, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it.
2: No worries, mate. Nice one. So do I. Thanks a lot.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jack Cartwright and Brandon Roy Vall. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby, really joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonti. D- Dave, I think i got to start off our banter this week by talking about Kamzat Shemeyev. Another big win for him, 17-second KO. Is that fight enough for us to all know he's the legit real deal?
3: Well, it's funny you asked me that, Gumby, because right when it happened, the first thing I said was, the UFC is fake, because <laughs> that was just an, that was an outcome that was just too good for the UFC marketing machine uh, to add to his highlight reel and to keep hyping him as the next coming of Khabib, John Jones, GSP, whatever you want to say. Uh, But no, it it is very impressive to me. I said this on the show last week, even against lower ranked competition, and I'm not saying that's what Gerald Mearschardt is, he had only been knocked out twice heading into that fight, certainly never with one clean punch within a couple of seconds. Uh, But even with his first two victories in the UFC, I cannot discount what I see when he's in the UFC. Anyone who is in the UFC, even on a prelim, is, you know, at the very least, pretty good, uh, and I will take stock in what I am viewing on the screen. And thus far, all I've seen out of is extremely impressive. And I know people say he's the next coming of Khabib, and I get that from a, uh, you know, I think personality. They're from the same region of the world originally, uh, probably both did some sambo and wrestling growing up, but. I have never seen Khabib sleep someone with one punch. So he is very much not the next Khabib. I think he's the first Chimiyup.
0: Yeah, and and I am in on him too. Uh, you know, I, I'm probably one of the latest people to this party because you know I I discounted his grappling being that he like you know manhandled a couple of guys who largely have issues in their defensive grappling. But you know like he he showed knockout power on the feet too, and it's not like that that combination or that that one punch rather wasn't really super crisp and set up well. So like yeah, I, I'm definitely buying in on him more. I do definitely want to see him against some adversity, though, at some point in time. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see h- him ha- get hit once or have a takedown stuffed and figure out what he's got to do based on it. Because, like, I mean, like, look at the the welterweight division, right? Like, which is where he says he's eventually going to make his stay. He's fought a couple of times at middleweight, but he's he's talking about being a welterweight as well. Do you think he could sleep Colby Covington, Kamara Usman, Gilbert burns, and do you think he can wrestle them like it's just such an interesting division for him to be in with a skill set that you know apparently looks as good as it does because there are so many people in that division too who have the complementary skill set to stop that kind of thing so like I would have liked to see more of him fight but but you know again we we can only judge him based on what we saw and what we saw is damn impressive.
3: Yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor was set to face Aldo in his, and I'm going off the top of my head, uh, what would have been his sixth fight. Let's do the math together. He beat Brimage. He beat Holloway by decision. He had a long layoff, came back, and absolutely murked. Uh, what's his name? Uh, in Ireland, the little guy, 135. Why am I forgetting his name?
0: The little guy? Diego yeah, Brandel. the little Brazilian. Diego Brandao. Diego
3: Brando, thank you. Then he beats Dustin Poirier. Then he beats Dennis Seaver in his fifth fight. Okay, so he was lined up to face Aldo in his sixth UFC fight. Instead, he got... uh um, uh Why am I blanking again? Wow. Do I get hit? In oh, the oh Chad, Chad Mendes. Chad Mendez, Thank you. Jeez. Uh, he got Chad Mendez, which was a test on wrestling, but of course Mendes came in with no cardio. Point being... I think Chimiev probably right now is on a similar track, but I agree with you. I'd like to see a couple more tests. I'd like to see him taken to the limit. We'll see against Damian Maya. I mean, I think he's going to be Damian Maya just with the punching power alone. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he gets on top of Damian Maya. Is Maya able to pull the sub that we thought maybe Mearshark would be able to pull off? But, you know, I think this is kind of the way we see it now. Israel Adesanya, same thing. He was in a title fight within his, you know, fifth or so fight. That's kind of the path he's on. I think, you know, a title fight in his seventh fight would be fair. What about you?
0: Yeah, and, and I, I know you mentioned the fight with Demi and Maya because it was pretty much already on its way to being booked. Here's the thing about that, though. Does that fight interest you at all? Like, to me, because no. to me, right, like I just said, the, the thing we want about Chimayev is we want to see him tested. We want to see the takedown stuffed. It, is Damian Maya going to stuff his takedown? No, you're probably going to see a bunch of dominant top game in him avoiding subs, which, which definitely tells us a little bit, but not much. And if he chooses to keep it on the feed against Damian Maya, like everybody else who has, he's going to have more success, right? Like, his his name is not Ben Askren. He's going to be successful on the feed against Damian Maya. So, like... I don't learn anything from that fight about Chimeyev, even if he beats Damian Maia, who's, you know, the number seven-ranked welterweight. You know, it's a huge feather in his cap, teaches me nothing. I want to see him against somebody like Wonderboy. If, If we're going to move him that far up the ladder, show me he can beat a talented striker who knows how to keep distance and defend a takedown. Right? That interests me. That is what I'm here for. You know, even somebody like Neil Magny. I know Neil Magny, not all the way up the list. People probably thinking he's going to starch Neil Magny. Neil Magny's got some damn good wrestling, and he's really long and difficult to hit. So, like, that's the type of... I'm way more interested in Neil Magny as an opponent than Damian Maia, and I can't believe those words came out of my mouth.
3: Well, I'll tell you what I'm most interested in, and that's this week's edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 253. But before we get into Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week, one
0: may wonder if any company sponsors this segment. Absolutely, this segment is sponsored to you by Maroon Social. Maroon Social is running a special deal on their Maroon Peak Program. It is 85% off right now, which means you can get the entire Peak Project for just 10 bucks a year. And let me tell you something, it comes with all kinds of cool features. You can check out what all of those features are on their social media, at Maroon Social. And make sure to hashtag COVIDSucks as you are putting your workouts on there so that you can get featured on their new community general feed. So check all that out, Maroon Social, wherever you download apps.
3: COVID does suck. All right. (laughs) Uh, We have a very exciting uh, co-main event this coming weekend, dual main event, if you will. The 205-pound strap is up for grabs. The 185-pound strap is up for grabs. And the main event itself is really Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. Adesanya, the champion, will be going for his second title defense. He, of course, came into the UFC, beat Brad Tavares, beat Derek Brunson, beat Anderson Silva, beat Kelvin Gastelum. So 4-0, then got a title shot against Robert Whittaker, won via KO, and then defended in a very weird and underwhelming fight against Yoel Romero. So this would be his second title defense if he is able to get through Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa is undefeated, 13-0 and 0 as a professional. In the UFC, he's 5-0, and 0, so he's getting a title shot in just his sixth fight. Uh, four TKOs, one unanimous decision for the aforementioned Yoel Romero. The TKOs came over the likes of Johnny Hendricks, Uriah Hall, Oluwala Bangbos, uh, Gareth McKellen. Uh, it's a very interesting fight that is... Somewhat closer than I would have thought. Israel Adesanya, the minus 165 favorite. Totally agree with him being a favorite. Paulo Costa, the plus 145 dog. Uh, Costa, believed to be the more power striker, maybe on the old special Brazilian acai, but that's another story for another day. Adesanya, clearly the better uh, all-around striker, mixing in kicks, faints, uh, can work out of the clinch if he needs to uh just laser like jabs maybe they don't knock you out with one shot but the accumulation he's a sniper when he needs to. good going back off his feet good coming forward we saw him in a war against kelvin gastelum but some might say hey he was in a war against kelvin gastelum gastelum hit him if costa is able to hit him it could be lights out because costa hits a hell of a lot harder than gastelum mma math is so much fun who you got
2: um,
0: so, first of all, what I find particularly interesting about this fight is this is the first time we have a double undefeated title fight in this division in a long, or in any division in a long-ass time. Can you think of another double undefeated title fight in the UFC? Jones and Daniel Cormier. No, because it doesn't... Oh, yes. Jones and Daniel Cormier would be one of them. And then the other one I was thinking of off the top of my head was Rashad Evans. Oh, was Ronda... Oh, Rashad Evans versus Loyola Machida is an undefeated one as well. Um, So, like, it, it is a rarity that we see these kinds of things, which I kind of think speaks... Also, but
3: wait. Also, sorry to interrupt you, but was wouldn't Ronda and Holly also be double undefeated?
0: Was Holly undefeated when she knocked out Ronda?
3: I don't know the, all the intern, All of the intern
0: get Put on. Put the intern on that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think... You know, for me, I think that that's why you see that line so close, right? Is that, like, that line so close, she wasn't undefeated. I just just got the intern's response. Uh, she was for sure undefeated. So th- there's only been a handful of them, and that's why you see the line so close here, right? It's because, like, we don't know what it looks like when Paulo Costa loses a fight unless you think he lost that Yoel Romero fight. We certainly don't know what it looks like with Israel Adesanya losing a fight. So, like, it makes a lot of sense for this to be close. With that being said... I think Israel Daisanya is a nightmare matchup for somebody like Paulo Costa. He does an excellent job of countering people who overexert exert themselves, who reach too far, right? Like we saw what he did to Robert Whitaker when Robert Whitaker missed on a big shot, right? Like he tagged him. And in addition to that, I think people are underestimating just how different the reach is here. You know, like not just like you know you can look at the reach metric and it's probably different. But also just look at the length of their arms, right? All of Paulo Costa's measured reach comes with the fact that his chest is a refrigerator, right? And he's got these stubby little arms at the sides of him. He's fighting a guy who's poking him with, like, a broom handle from from the end of it. So, like, I think he's going to have a ton of problems with the reach and the kicks and dealing with all that. And, and if you don't believe me, like, go back to some of his past fights you'll see some of those problems he's had where he's been kicked in the legs, where he's been, like, dealing with the fact that somebody is far longer than him, and he didn't do great at it until he, like, got inside and landed a big punt. Like, Uriah Hall is a perfect example of that. Like, he knocked out Uriah Hall, ate a bunch of leg kicks, ate a bunch of kicks from the outside on the way. Uriah Hall's defense isn't even as good as to Adesanya's. So I, I love Izzy. I love Izzy in this fight. At this cost, you know, at, at negative 165, I think is a great price for the champ here. Um, and I think he probably gets it done. You look at the over in this this fight, too. I think that's also probably a safe bet. I bet you this one lasts longer than people think it's going to.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think it's much the same way with Romero and Sanya. I don't think a lot of people saw that going to decision, but in fact it did. And actually, Israel Sanya, when you look at it... Um, He went to decision against Anderson Silva and Kelvin Gastelum and Yoel Romero. So three out of his last four fights did go to decision. Also went to decision against Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares survived an entire uh, fight against Israel Adesanya. Barely. I mean, earned Adesanya performance of the night, but you get the drift. Let's move on to the 205 pound division. And by the way, I'm taking Adesanya myself. I just find him to be the better uh, point fighter, and if he can avoid getting knocked the fuck out, I think he's taken this four rounds to one, maybe three rounds to two. Has to get past that first round, uh, get Polacosta and his acai muscles tired and into those later rounds. 205-pound division, right open with John Jones moving on to heavyweight. This is for the vacated belt. Dominic Reyes, a minus 260 favorite against Jan Blankowicz, a plus 220 dog. Uh Reyes coming off a loss to John Jones. Very competitive fight though. Uh, before that he KO'd Chris Weidman, beat Vulcan Ozdemir via split decision, uh got a unanimous decision win over Ovin Saint-Pru. TKO Jared Conanier, uh beat Jeremy Kimball, beat Joaquin Christensen. So in the UFC, he is six and one with the one loss coming to John Jones. Jan Blankowitz, bit of a career resurgence, lost via TKO to Thiago Santos back in February of 2009, but then reeled off three wins against three of the bigger names in the division. Luke Rockhold beat KO, got a split decision win over Jacare Sousa, and then really what put him on the map here, had the knockout at the right time. It was a highlight reel-worthy performance. He beat Corey Anderson, many of whom people thought... He was marching towards the title shot, but Blankiewicz said, uh-uh, it's going to be me. Before the loss to Tiago Santos, it is worth noting that he had a four-fight win streak, including big wins over Jimmy Manoa and Nikita Krylov, got an arm triangle choke, mind you, uh, Devin Clark, Jared Konanier, so he had a four-fight win streak, broken up to a loss to Tiago Santos, now on a three-fight win streak, so seven and one in his last eight. Uh,
0: who you got here? So, I'm actually going to go on a limb here. I'm going to take Jan Bolkovich. And, and here's the reason why. You know, I think if you look at these two, the thing that sticks out to me as being different between the two of them is that Jan hits like a fucking truck all the time, right? Like, like Dominic Reyes fought Jon Jones's type of fight for quite a long time, right? Like, he, they, they both, you know, threw the same kind of punches at one another. They both picked away, you know, Dominic Reyes landed 116 strikes, and I would say exactly zero of them ever worried me that they would do real damage or real potential knockout damage to John Jones. And that's 116 punches. Now, with that being said... I think the exact opposite of Jan Blankovic. I think Jan Blankovic throws his punches with bad fucking intentions all the time. And you can see that, I, I mean, maybe not so much in the Jack Ray fight. You can see that in the Luke Rockhold fight where he absolutely executed that man. You can see it in the Corey Anderson fight where he put that dude clean out. You know, in like you, you mentioned, his only losses to Tiago Santos, a big puncher in his own right, in a fight that you know, I think might've been one-to-one going into the third there. And and there's certainly no shame in that it was a, I mean, it was a scheduled five rounder, so it wasn't, you know, almost over, but it was a five round fight. And on top of that too, like, you know, some people out there are talking about how, well, Dominic Reyes has got, got that wrestling background. He could lean on that. Uh, and, and you care to wager what Dominic Reyes' takedown percentage is? Again, I, I don't mean to go to this every single week. You care to wager what that might be?
3: Uh, Well, you're asking me, so I already know it's not going to be as good as I probably would have thought it was. Uh, But I don't know. Is he running off at a 35% clip?
0: 16 percent one sixteen 1-6. 16%. Mm. He's landed exactly one takedown in the UFC. So this is a guy we're talking about having a wrestling advantage. 0-2 against Volkan Ozdemir. You know, like, he's got one takedown in the UFC, and it's against Jeremy Kimball, a was an oversized 185-er who also landed his own takedown against Dominic Reyes. So, like, I think we're probably overstating Dominic Reyes' takedown abilities here, especially against a physically strong guy like Jan Blankovic, who is only, you know, the last time he was taken down was that Thiago Santos fight. It's been a long-ass time since he's been taken down, so... You know, if, if we consider those factors and the fact that, you know, Blankovic has probably got KO power both early and late, you know, there's a real chance that he sparks Dominic Reyes here clean out and we see our second Polish champion. You know, I think these,
3: both these guys, especially when you get up into the upper weights, uh, either of them can land a shot and knock the other one out for me. I like, even though maybe his takedowns uh, aren't, the rate isn't as high as you might think it might be, I still like him better than I do Bonkowitz, uh if it became more of a grapple fest. Although Bonkovitz does have a couple of submissions to his name, so now maybe you have me rethinking things. But, nah, I'm going with Dominic Reyes, but that's just me. Let's move on. Caitlin Vieira, uh, she is a minus-170 favorite. So Jara Eubanks is a plus-150 dog. Caitlin Vieira is coming off a loss to Irene Aldana via KO, but before that, she beat Sarah McCann, Ashley Evan Smith, Katsangano, uh, really three names, uh, kind of of the original 135 division for the UFC women, uh, and, you know, some of them not even in the UFC anymore, uh, but coming off loss to Irene Aldana, she's the favorite here to Sajara Eubanks coming up in weight, uh, she lost to Aspen Ladd and Betch Correa, but then reeled off wins against Sarah Moras and Julia Avila. So she's 2-2 two two in her last four. And if you want to peel it back, she beat Roxanne Matafari and Lauren Murphy before that. So
0: she is actually
3: 4-2 in her last six. Who you got here?
0: I'm going to go with Ketlin Vieira. And, and I think the reason I want to go with Ketlin Vieira is, is the fact that Sajari Eubanks has looked Vastly improved in her last two fights, both manhandling Sarah Morris and then really manhandling Julia Avila, who, let me tell you something, I've been high on Julia Avila for a really long time, and I was shocked at what Sajara Eubanks did to her, and, and I i don't instantly discount Julia Avila after that fight, I give a lot of props to Sajara Eubanks using her physicality well and for 15 minutes, the problem here is, like you said, you know, she, she's a 125-er who came up to 135, and of course she was a massive 125-er who missed weight a couple of times, but she's fighting somebody else who is also huge for the division, right? Like, Catlin Vieta is a big girl for that division, and she's absolutely, she's absolutely showed that she can take down some of the very best in the division, and she stuffs takedowns. Again, I don't mean to keep throwing stats in here, 92% of the time, and that's fighting women like Sarah McMahon, you know, Ashley Evans-Smith, Kat Zingano, women who are very physically strong for that division. She stuffed all but one of their takedown attempts on, on 12 attempts. So, like, she is a beast when it comes to enforcing her will upon her opponent. So, when you look at her against somebody like Sajara Eubanks, I I mean, like, you gotta lean her for that reason, but of course... Like I said, that last performance, or even those last two performances from Eubanks, definitely gives me pause before I lay money here on uh, Ketlin Vieira.
3: Well, I'll tell you who you're going to want to lay money on, and that's our underdog of the week, Brandon Royval, plus 190 over Kayakara France.
0: Why? So I love Brandon Royval. I, I There's certainly no secret that I'm a, a big fan of his style. Look, you watch what that guy did against Tim Elliott in the grappling. The guy scrambled piece for piece against Tim Elliott, which is absolutely one of the most amazing sentences I've said, until Tim Elliott got tired and he subbed Tim Elliott. He subbed Tim Elliott, something Demetrius Johnson could not do in 25 minutes. And that is a huge feather in his cap. On top of that, when you talk to him, the dude fancies himself a striker, and he's got some reason to, right? He's tagged a ton of guys and followed that up with submissions here. He's fighting a guy who likes to bang, who likes to stand and trade. And all it's going to take is one slip from Kaikara France, one time for Brandon Royval to touch his chin and then jump on a submission. It's going to be all over because he's such a better grappler in this case than Kaikara France. He just needs one opportunity to finish it. And at plus 190, a guy who just needs one window off opportunity to finish the job, that that's certainly odds that I love and I would jump all over
3: Uh, And you're also going to want to jump over our parlay to play Alexa Kamur, a minus 170 favorite, and Brad Riddell, a minus 325 favorite. Okay, both, you know, fairly strong favorites, at least Brad Riddell is, and Alexa Kamur, minus 170. But play them together, and you're going
0: to get plus 110 odds. Yeah, so I obviously am a guy who likes to get plus odds back. And Brad Riddell is a guy who I, I like to put money on here because, like, look, The age of a kickboxer coming into the UFC and looking damn good in his performances is upon us, right? We've got Israel Adesanya. we got undefeated Giga Chikadze. You know, the guys just keep showing up and just keep putting on good performances. You got Brad Riddell here who freaking trains with Israel Adesanya, is a former kickboxer in his own right, And let me tell you something, they paired him with the perfect opponent here. It's a guy who's not going to try to take him down and doesn't quite have the stand-up chops as he does in Alex Da Silva. So I'm all over Brad Riddell in this one at negative 325. Of course, we got to make that juice a little sweeter, and we're going to do that by pairing him with Alexa Kamer. Look, he's fighting William Knight, and they are, to me, pretty similar types of fighters, right? Like both guys super powerful and have made mistakes in the past but like overcome them with their physical gifts the differences of alexa kamer seems to be learning from those mistakes and getting better each time out whereas if you've seen the two contender series performances from william knight he just keeps seems seeming to step into those same issues so i I like kamer as he continues to button things up and gets a little sharper so we're going to pair him with redout and get plus 110 back
3: Well, that wraps it up for Fights, Sogs, and Parlays. We certainly hope you enjoyed it. Please go over to iTunes, write us a review if you did. We sure as heck appreciate it. That's all I got to say this week. Gumby, why don't you wrap up the show and get the fans what they need to know.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without Flow Combat, the mothership. They help keep the lights on, as well as Maroon Social. Also, check us out on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and Instagram, same thing, at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll see you then.